0: This is episode 57. In this episode of All Hazards, California's record breaking wildfires, one mega fire after another, burning during what is typically our wet season. We have not recovered from the drought. Firefighters say they're hotter, faster, and more erratic. Some communities knew they were coming, they even planned and exercised for that day. You can prepare. 365 days a year, but we weren't gonna stop that fire. Mike Moeller, deputy director for communications at CAL FIRE, looks back at two years of historical destruction and the time Hollywood crews came to document it, but got more than they bargained for. The
1: wind shifted. That's when they said, hey, we need to go back and get our vehicle. I told them, no, we are not. We couldn't cross the road, but the vehicle was a complete loss with almost a million dollars worth of camera gear. In it. it was a close call. Those are human beings. I'm bringing them into some very, very dangerous conditions. That
0: weighed heavy on me. Also, there are changes on the way for California's forest management and some changes Mike Moeller would like to see. That really bothers me sometimes because the community and the citizens are our priority but are still only considerations. All that plus fire tornadoes, a western U.S. under fire siege, and a very lucky dog right now. All right, so with me today is Mike Moeller, who is Deputy Director of Communications for the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection, better known as CAL FIRE. Mike, bud, thanks for being here. It's great to get you in.
1: No, absolutely. And, and Sean, as you well know, this partnership between Cal Fire and, and uh, OES is, is one that uh, obviously we exercise very often. So any opportunity we appreciate.
0: Well, thank you. You've been a, a very busy guy over the last, man, I would say at least for the last two years, just because it's been so unique, I think in a lot of ways. As Deputy Director of Communications, uh, how long have you been in that position? I was appointed
1: by uh, actually Governor Brown uh, February of last year. So we're coming up on a year in the position uh, since I've come up uh, to headquarters in Sacramento.
0: How did that differ from what you were doing just prior to that? Well,
1: you know, I came up from field from a firefighter one in Cal Fire all the way up through the rank of battalion chief. Um, Within that, uh, um, those years uh, in the field, I um, moved into the uh, public information portion of ICS. Um, so now I went from battalion chief to deputy director. So it really is a, it's a total paradigm shift for me. Um, the amount of responsibility really I have the state, um, but it's very rewarding. Uh, every day is a new day, but, uh, and that's where I'm at right now.
0: Okay. So getting into the business, what, what got you in? How did you step into this world?
1: Well, you know, it, it sounds funny, but, um, you know, I, you, you've heard the stories, but ever since I was a young kid, I remember wanting to be a firefighter. Yeah. And, um, when I was six years old. Um, we had a, a, well, now it's a career fire station in, in the city of Villa Park in Southern California. My dad took me to the pancake breakfast, Mm -hmm. um, every October there where they had all the fire engines. And I, I went for years and years and met a gentleman by the name of Al Raposa, who at that time was a fire apparatus engineer. Long story short, became an explorer with the city of Orange Fire Department. Reserve with Orange County Fire Authority, and then into Cal Fire. So it was—it's always something that I've always wanted to do.
0: Yeah. So it was the pancakes that sold you. It was absolutely food, <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, I've heard that firefighters eat very well. That is true. That is true. <laughs> well, you need the—you uh, need the calories. Yes, sir. Yeah. All right. So then you went on to mm. work for Boeing. Is that right? No, no. So it, how did that work uh, out? So,
1: no, that was a, um, I've been in the fire service before I gotten hired uh, with Cal Fire. I'd okay. worked at several different uh, agencies going through the academy and stuff. One was Boeing Autonetics and Missile Systems, had their own fire department. I worked for Warner Brothers Studios as a fireman. Oh. You know, a lot of firefighters will tell you there's there's reserve jobs. It's almost like internships um, to get to that
0: career path in uh, a career job. Okay. Been with Cal Fire now, how many years officially? Uh, almost 19 years, 19 mm-hmm. years. Okay. You've got a little time before you're ready to retire.
1: I said. I do. I do. I, I want to say I'm not on the downhill side. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Well, that's a good thing because California needs you right now. <laughs> Tell me about this, the, the previous seasons that we've had. And I, and I use the word season, uh, loosely because in the past, when I first came on board to Cal OES in 2014, they used the word season a lot, but they don't use that word so much anymore. There really isn't a season anymore, is there?
1: There's not. Um, we have what we call peak season and winter preparedness, but that's really gone away. We, you know, you, you hear the term fire year, and it really is. I mean, operationally, not just Cal Fire, but we are operationally responding to wildland fires really 365
0: days a year. It does seem crazy when I think back to, let's say, the Thomas Fire. That broke out in a winter season, in a winter month. It it did. What in the heck?
1: Exactly. And I'll I'll tell you, the Thomas fire, you know, it's been in in these years that we talk about, you know, uh, a lot of these have been career fires, but we keep uh, continuing to see career fires. The Thomas, I mean, literally it went into January. Um, We had a 14 day Santa Ana wind event in December on the Thomas fire. Um, That was unheard of. That was record breaking in itself. So yeah, I mean, people were in the command post during Christmas, you know, that used that was unheard of, you know, 10 years ago.
0: Yeah. So what's
1: going on? Um, I really think it comes down to we we have not recovered from the drought. Um, You know, we still have the tree mortality in a lot of places throughout the state. Um, But you have to remember, when we have those drought-stricken fuels, um, those aren't coming back. A lot of those areas haven't recovered. Um, We have, you know, millions of acres throughout California that are still, uh, those dead and dying fuels are there. Um, And then you add the new fuels to it. And, you know, when we have precipitation, we need it, but it's also a double-edged sword. And then you're seeing the effects of climate change. It really is there. We're seeing, you know, longer summers. We're seeing these wind events. And if you think about the car fire, what we experienced on there with the fire, it was an actual tornado. tornado. Tactics and strategy are changing on the ground because we are seeing fire conditions that we've never seen before.
0: That is something that obviously California is experiencing, but in in your world, are there other states that are experiencing the same kind of thing? Because I can't imagine that California really is the only one experiencing long-term drought. I know Montana has had a big problem with fires.
1: Absolutely. If you look really, the whole Western United States, uh, the, the past five years, if not longer, have experienced in, in extension what we now call fire year, um, the number of responses. But no, it's not just California. The Western United S- States is really under siege, under a fire siege. Um, you know, here in California, obviously, it's centric to us. We pay attention to what's going on. We're one of the most populated wildland urban interfaces in the nation. So Mm -hmm. we do, when you talk about structure being destroyed, unfortunately, we have 40 million people in the state. So when we hear these fires in Montana, yes, they're horrible fires, but you don't see that structure damage. But what your listeners need to know, this is not a California problem. This is a United States problem.
0: So we had the Thomas fire. Mm -hmm. We had the Tubbs fire. We had the car, the camp, Mendocino complex, Woolsey, and they go on and on and on. It seems like Every year we're breaking a record. Every year we're talking more acreage. We're talking convergence. What do all these big fires have in common? Besides, they seem to keep upping the ante. I
1: I, I think what we're seeing now... um All of them in common is the explosive fire growth. Um, We're we're seeing, again, we're seeing things that we never experienced before. Um, That's the commonality. Now you're seeing, uh, you know, a 100,000 acre fire 10 years ago was, uh, you know, that was a a major record-breaking fire. We call them mega fires now, but 100,000 acres is the new normal. And then take the new out of it now. That is the normal. So the commonality is, one, this is not going away anytime soon. But two, these, this is what we're going to expect. This is what you should expect. The commonality is the conditions, the type of weather we're experiencing. It doesn't matter if it's December or September or, or in the middle of July. We're seeing fires that are explosive, critical rates of spread. And really, our firefighters, first responders, in these last major fires, the first 12 hours haven't even engaged in the firefight. They've engaged in an evacuation. That's how quick these fires are moving.
0: When it comes to these so-called mega fires Mm -hmm. now, okay? They're getting a lot of attention from everyone. And it's not necessarily uh, good attention. Mm -hmm. We're hearing a lot about blame. We're hearing a lot about who's at fault here. Is it the forest service for not managing the forest? Is it the state? Is it, you know, property owners? I don't want to play a blame game, but I think the topic of discussion does need to be, how can we mitigate this problem? Can we, do we have the ability to realistically reduce the likelihood of these mega fires?
1: Well, let me start. No, and it is, it really is that you're seeing it out there is the big, the big buzzword is forest management and forest health. Um, We've seen it um, from federal level, all the way from local to state. Um, I can tell you that Cal Fire, our mission... Is you know the wildland and the resources and, and the citizens of California, we've always been a leader in forest management. Um, I, for your listeners, when you're, when we talk about forest land, over half of the forests in California are protected by the federal government. The remaining 31 million acres are state responsibility area, which Cal Fire is responsible for. I can tell you, you've definitely seen a paradigm shift from former Governor Brown to now uh, Governor Newsom, with you know a billion dollars over the next five years in forest management and health. Do I see that um, making an impact? Absolutely. Prevention and preparation are the success to stopping or at least minimizing the size of these fires. Are we going to turn a corner in the next year or so? Absolutely not. But working with homeowners, local fire safe councils, yes, forest management, it it has to be there. And again, working with our local and, and federal partners, everybody has to be on board But I I, it's really it it falls too onto the communities to be prepared and and working with their fire safe councils. But no, the forest management and forest health, that's where we need to be. That's where we're at. And again, with the administration's support, we will continue to move forward and we're going to see big, big things coming in the next two years.
0: What does management actually mean? What does that translate to? We'll continue with Mike Muller in just a moment. When we do, we'll talk about the new push for more aggressive wildland and forest management. But when you have communities that are nestled among the forests by design, what can you do?
1: You can prepare 365 days a year, but we weren't gonna stop that
0: fire. The town of Paradise had a plan and they prepared, but it wasn't enough. Plus,
1: a dog came running out of the front door of this burning house
0: and started running right at me. What did Mike do when a panicked Rottweiler came at him full speed? It's a great story. You don't want to miss that and more as we get back to our conversation with CAL FIRE Deputy Director of Communications, Mike Muller. What does management actually mean? What does that translate to? So if you look at forest
1: management um, from a resource management standpoint, we go and we look at key areas um, uh, throughout the state. One, within the wildland urban interface, it's directly impacting a community. What that does is you bring in resource management specialists, uh, not only CAL FIRE, but maybe from the local county uh, or jurisdiction, and they look at what that uh, area, that wildland area looks like, and they come up with a plan, either prescribed fire, what we call shaded fuel breaks and thinning. It's actually managing that portion, that piece of property, that piece of wildland to get it to an area one, where it's, it's really, it's, it's a healthy forest. So when we talk management, it's not looking at a, it's looking at a specific place, but we have to look at it statewide under those 31 million acres. So management also falls under working with the local communities. They need to have a say-so. They're the locals, and, and that's part of the management process.
0: And that was what I was going to ask. I've got it here on my list. Mm-hmm. You know, are neighbors and towns doing enough to reduce their susceptibility to wildfires? Some maybe, some maybe not.
1: Yeah, no, and I think, and again, when we talk about um, uh, prevention and preparation, one of the one of the big things in, in that is uh, education for the public. Um, yeah, communities are very engaged. We've definitely seen an increase with fire safe councils. People understanding what defensible space is, um, planning those evacuation routes. Um, but we have to really. It can't fall on. Um, it can't be white noise anymore to these communities regardless of where you live. This is this is not if it's when. Um, so we really need, the community has to be a partner with the first responders to make this a success. Um, and we can always do more as a, as a public safety agency and a resource management. We're always looking to do better, but we always want the public to be there with us. Um, and people really need to know that it is year round and, and work with your community. Reach out to your local fire,
0: fire safe counselors, uh, volunteer um, in this
1: forest management, because it's going to take all of us to do
0: this. Absolutely. And the town of Paradise obviously just suffered incomprehensible damage and loss from the campfire but they had plans in place they had exercised time and time again they thought they were prepared but i think in the back of their minds they always knew something was lurking out there that maybe uh, they wouldn't be able to handle but they did everything that they thought that they should do. No,
1: and and that's a great point, Uh, The the Paradise was actually what we call Firewise Community, and they've been one for several years uh, where they bring in forest management, work with fire safe councils. They had a specific zoned out evacuation plan. Um, Again, they they talk about, I mean, that is a wildland urban interface, and there's, there's, I could name 100 communities across California that are just like Paradise, but what we saw as far as fire conditions, you can prepare... Um, you know, 365 days a year, but you weren't. They, we weren't going to stop that fire um, no. with the wind conditions, um, what we were seeing. They were prepared. But again, that's where I go back to um, as uh, citizens and, and the public. It's not if, it's when, as mm-hmm. we saw in the North Bay fires when it jumped the 101 freeway. So yes, you can be prepared, but um, we have to look at fire conditions right now. We have to look at, uh, you know, the type of fires that we're getting. Um, you know, it, it, preparation, I can't tell you how important it is. But you also need to know that it may not stop the fire and you, you need to evacuate. And, and, and that's where we fall back on. You know, if you feel that it's time to leave or we ask you to leave, do so early.
0: Yeah. Don't play around with that. Mm-hmm. Don't play with fire. There you go. Right. That's Absolutely. An old one. We heard that as kids, didn't Absolutely. we? Absolutely. Don't play with fire. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a bigger mm-hmm. scale when you get to be... Our age. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. More (laughs) trouble. Yeah, more more trouble big time. (laughs) So uh, I live on Mm -hmm. property. I have Mm -hmm. three acres. Mm -hmm. I've got uh, a lot of oak trees around me. Mm -hmm. I have created my defensible space to the maximum extent that in my community, Mm -hmm. I need to get the county's permission to cut an oak. What do I do?
1: So that's something that we're looking at. Um, That's uh, obviously uh, living in a county county ordinance. Um, We're looking to work with, again, when we talk about local and state and federal partners, we have to make this, and I I can tell you, Governor uh, Newsom's administration, part of that forest management is to streamline some of these uh, processes that have been around for decades where we don't have, unless you're doing some type of uh, major damage to the environment, we don't have time uh, to go through if, – if a property owner has a tree that is a fire hazard, we're looking at how, again, working with local ordinances. I don't want to speak for them, but how can we get an exemption once we go out and see the tree that the homeowner can get rid of that tree? And, again, when we talk about defensible space, Sean, when you talk about your three acres doing your due di- diligence, mm-hmm. defensible space is not only for you, it's for your neighbor. If you should have a fire on your property or in your home – it can contain it to your property. So we have to remember to look at it both ways. You're benefiting the community by taking care of your property. But yes, those there, there are some issues that we're looking at to expedite, yeah. uh, to assist community members. Um, as we're seeing, not, not only when we talk tree mortality, but just on, just your three acres. Mm-hmm. There's property owners like that across the state Absolutely. that have trees that have been affected by some type of either infection or bark beetle that are having issues
0: getting them off their property. And we are, that's a priority for us to streamline that. I hope that works uh-huh. uh, soon because I've got a number of trees that uh, I've got a few that have actually fallen on my property. So now I have a lot of new firewood, yep. right? But I also have trees that are either young or quite elderly in mm-hmm. terms of tree years that are right up against or right close to my home within that defensible space zone. Mm-hmm. And I would love, as much as I love the shade, and I think it's it really enhances the beauty of my mm-hmm. property, I need to do something about those. But I know that the county in which I live has an issue with me cutting down these really nice oak trees and I get it but at the same time paradise is a good example
1: it, it, it really is and again it, looking at paradise in in and, and I know Sean we've worked together on these on these uh, major emergencies and these horrible incidents is that it doesn't go without saying that uh, you know are, they're, they're still in the recovery process that that was a horrible tragedy and uh, and our thoughts and prayers are always with that community yeah. unfortunately um, they became um, or that community is, you know, that put everybody on check for oh, yeah. uh, other words is, Hey, we've got hundreds of these communities, people that are doing the right thing. We can't stop conditions like that. Um, and part of the education on the trees next to your house. Great point is we got to look at the bigger picture. Mm. We really do an overhanging tree. You, the fire the fire front could blow past your home, and your home could be safe because you have your defensible space. Mm-hmm. We get one ember in that tree, it's going to take your property down. Damn so straight. That's what we have to look at.
0: Yep, yep, yep. So I just need to know, mm-hmm. and I know a lot mm-hmm. of other folks need to know, mm-hmm. that there's something going on that will help the locals uh, make that argument that, hey, we love these trees, but they've got to go. Because it's not only beneficial to my property, like you said, to the whole community.
1: Absolutely, when we, and, and again, fire safe councils. It's it's uh, yes, you doing your due diligence benefits your neighbors. It benefits those properties, and um, and through this, you know, again, that falls under that forest management. Everybody working together to make the right decisions, um, regardless if it's a local, state, or federal area that everybody's on the same page, that we really have to look at this. We have to, we have to look out of the box now because the, the, it's, it's the new normal. It's now normal.
0: So you had some folks tag along with you by the name of Netflix. What was it like? I mean, yes, you're, you're mm-hmm. camera friendly. You are comfortable <laughs> on camera. Uh, at least that's the impression mm-hmm. I get. What was it like having a production team follow your guys around, guys and mm-hmm. gals? What was it like to have them follow along?
1: Well, I appreciate that, Sean, but you know, between you and I have a face for radio. So, but, uh, and that's why I'm here. <laughs> yes. But, uh, that's uh, the great thing about podcasts. Y- yes. Um, oh, sorry. I got to take
0: a picture of you for the post, <laughs> okay. but that's okay.
1: Um, Netflix. So, um, we, we consider that what you call non traditional media. It was, uh, they spent about two years with us. Um, two years? Yes. Um, off and on. it, it uh, The same producer from Deadliest Catch and, uh, and their crew. We have to look at it as an agency. Is it, it, it needs to have a message to it. It needs to be beneficial to the public. I know one thing, uh, our former Chief Pemla and now current Chief uh, Porter, we're not a reality show. This is about the public. We're first responders. And Netflix came to us with a, a, a idea, Fire Chasers. What they wanted to do is get the word out on what we're seeing now. It morphed into... Um, Several different things, but oh, one of the things that they did focus on was our female inmate crews, which mm-hmm. are a vital, vital part of our operation. In fact, as we were filming, they went to several fires with us. They actually accompanied the chief to um, Chile. It was a very neat experience. Um, it's a it's a big undertaking. I can say for agencies, uh, and like I said, we get w- non traditional media requests all the time. Um, the importance of it is that we're getting a message to the public and it doesn't become a reality show, and it doesn't become about the responder. It becomes a uh, part of the program. So it was a great experience. Still talk to some of the people in the crew. You have to remember you have a mic on all the time. Um, I uh, did bring them into the Blue cut fire. Uh, Just a quick story, and um, this was in San Bernardino County. Um, Had a crew with me and um, follow me in a van, and um, we had some pretty extreme fire conditions. So I advised the crew, hey, we're going to we're going to get in the stuff right now um we went into a uh, wildland urban interface for structured defense uh wind shifted we were fine we, were, we sheltered in place but that really gave the crew we, we were you know we i want to say stuck but we weren't stuck we just knew that we had to wait for the fire front to go through and i think it really gives the audience an appreciation of what fire can do i know it did the camera crew it was uh very intense but it, um it, it was it was a good experience. and and we would entertain that again, but it, it has to meet the uh, the obligation to the public of getting a message out.
0: Were you happy with the final result in terms of getting that message out?
1: Uh, absolutely. I think for and I you know, as far as production and how Netflix works, um, yeah, I think it was. Um they were with us for, you know again, almost two years. Um, four episodes. They, they had a lot of footage. I wish we could have gotten some more out. Um, uh, you know, I'm not in production, so I don't know, but there was uh, so much footage of the fires that we were seeing when they were with us. Um, but ultimately, yes, we were satisfied um, with the production.
0: Okay. So if another agency somewhere else hears this and they're listening to you, it, it sounds like the, the, the trouble, mm-hmm. if you want to call mm-hmm. it that, that you had to go through uh, to manage these production crews in the end was worth it.
1: Absolutely. And again, that's doing your due diligence Uh, as an agency, be very uh, cautious on what the message is that you're putting out to the public. And then remember too, that you're going to have to, we had two fire captains committed. That was their job for Mm. two years. The interesting thing is that uh, Netflix took care of that portion, but it's a big commitment, but make sure it showcases one, your agency, but it gets your message out to the public.
0: You were talking about having to uh, shelter in place. I understand that they lost some equipment. They lost some gear because that's how close the fire came.
1: Yes, no, absolutely. And, and, and again, this crew was amazing. We became very good friends because uh, we spent a lot of time together. So what would happen is uh, they would bring in um, the crew in a different vehicle following us. Um, uh, they had parked on the side of the road, obviously, to get fire apparatus through. a dirt road. And I'd advise the, the driver, um, you know, you may want to move that up the hill or keep it out on the main road and hike in. Uh, you never knew it was fire. But that was up to them. They were insured. We we had, you know, they they actually, the Netflix crew went through fire training with us. They had all their gear and, and um, they left it in that area. Again, no fault of their own, but the fire, sh- the wind shifted. That's when they said, hey, we need to go back and get our vehicle. I told them, no, we are not. We couldn't cross the road. Fortunately, nobody was hurt. We knew where our safety zones were. We were prepared. But the vehicle was a complete loss with almost a million dollars worth of camera gear in it.
0: But that does demonstrate just how unpredictable these fires can be.
1: It really is. And, and when I talk, and that's, it gave the camera crew and the sound crew a new appreciation. Um, but as firefighters, um, sometimes you take a deep breath and go, well, you know, we do know uh, because we, I was in there, in this in this area where we sheltered, there was a, a property that was being pr- protected, but there was a two Type 1 engines uh, from Cal Fire Riverside, there was a Type 3 from San Bernardino County fire, and two of our inmate crew buses. That's how big the area was, but we knew once the, we, f- it, you, you, you always watch the wind, and I was standing as a battalion chief behind the home, watching the film crews with some of our crews, the wind shifted and was hit me in the face. So I got on the radio and said, hey, we just had a wind shift. Everybody heads up. And it literally went 360 degrees and cut off our escape route. But that's why, why we train. And that's why we have tactics and strategies and operations. But it changed like that. And where that vehicle was... To, you know, if I was pulling in uh, six years ago, I'd probably say, yeah, I parked my vehicle there. There's no way it's going to touch it. But when we came in on that fire, I told, hey, you know, you never know what's going to happen. And that's a great example.
0: But it really does. It boils down to situational awareness, training, and being prepared. So working with this team, uh, looking back on it, did you make any mistakes or did you do something that you wish you hadn't done? I think...
1: As far as the mobility, if you look at the mobility, like I said, Netflix, um, oh, Appian Way, actually, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's production, that's who it was, Appian Way, and then worked with Netflix to get out. We went through training, but the mobility, they have a very large footprint. And we have to make it clear as first responders, we're the priority as far as operations. They have very expensive gear. Um, I think the biggest thing for me was sometimes they wanted to get to certain areas to get a shot. And we would let them do that. Hindsight 2020, it, it has to be very, very, and they did have clear direction, but it's a big footprint. And at that time of battalion chief, I had eight people in that crew. They belonged to me. Mm-hmm. That was my liability. I was a professional guiding to a man, so there was a lot of pressure on that having these eight people with me. But they knew what they had signed up for. Like I said, they were these did deadliest catch. You wouldn't catch me on those boats. No, but, no, no, neither. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, I wouldn't make it. But, but you're
0: you responsible for those eight lives.
1: Absolutely. I mean, there's there's legal, uh, you know, and contract, all the legal stuff. But it doesn't boil down to legal. It boils down to those are human beings. I'm bringing them into some very, very dangerous conditions. Yes, they've been through training, but not professional firefighters. Um, so I would think uh, it, that was that weighed heavy on me. Is yeah. a, again, we became very close friends. But um, I think those are things that you have to look at if
0: uh, your or an agency is uh, is approached. Is you know, it's a very big undertaking. A two-year commitment with dedicated staff. Absolutely, a big undertaking. But it seems to have been worth it. If you haven't had a chance to see the Netflix series, it's also worth your time and commitment. So be sure to check it out. It's called Fire Chasers. Now it's on to some things Mike says need to change. That really bothers me sometimes because the community
1: and the citizens are a priority. What is it that he says is a top issue that needs to be addressed then? A dog came running out of the front door of this burning house and started running right at me.
0: It's a scene that played out for the cameras during the Netflix documentary production. Let's get back to Mike Muller. So was there anything over the last couple of fires then, uh, some of these big mega fires, anything that you learned from that, that uh, looking back on it, you you realize, man, I could have done something a little differently because of the conditions or, or whatever the case may be?
1: In my position, um, you know, we had management teams out there. Um, as, as you know, we work together often, um, and especially when we activate the State Operations Center and, and the coordination group. Right. Um, I always look to improve as first responders. that That's what we're supposed to do. I think if there we was something we could do better, it was, uh, you know, when you try to get information out, as you well know, Sean, you want to get it to the public, uh, it, but it's got to be accurate. It's got to be timely. Um, but when you, one, you have several megafires going at the same time. You come together, you know, in our operations center, like we, or we your operations center, like we're talking about, is... We always want to do right for the public and get them information as, as quickly as possible. But when you have major, major incidents, streamlining that sometimes takes a little bit of time. And that, that really bothers me sometimes because the community and the citizens are a priority. So, yeah, looking at those kind of things is when we have these, because, because again, this isn't going away. This year, at one point, we had five Cal Fire incident management teams on incidents. That was the first time that we've ever had that. incredible. Um, so you're looking at, uh, you know. Four, di- four different operations. So, yeah, streamline of information and just and get into the public as quick as we can.
0: So I'm going to throw some names out at mm-hmm. you, some of these fires. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that comes to mind, I want you to just tell me what it is. Okay. Very first thing. So this is sort of a, a Rorschach test, if you will, for fires. Right. Okay. Unvisually, mm-hmm. though. Thomas. Wind. Tubbs.
1: 101 Freeway. Meaning? When it jumped that freeway and, and, and cut the Walmart on fire. Uh, okay. When it jumped the freeway, um, I knew and then we were there at that point. Um, and I was actually with Chief hemlock but the one one freeway was a game changer when it jumped. Car. The tornado. Yeah, that was uh, a first time we'd it, seen it like that. In and I can tell you that when we saw that, we you know, we we sent because unfortunately Reading City uh had a fatality through their fire department and some civilians on that fire, but when that happened, that tor- that tornado, and people call it fire NATO. It wasn't a fire NATO. That was a tornado. It is um, our serious accident review team? We knew right then we need to look at something different. We actually brought in meteorologists from Kansas, um, specialists outside of the fire community to say, "Hey, this is you guys might be missing this." And it ended up being I and, and I, I have to look, but I want to say an EF two or three tornado. <sighs> but we brought in specialists. But I will not. I've never seen like the, anything like that.
0: Wow, and that was because of the conditions. Absolutely, it was like the perfect storm. It
1: was absolutely was
0: okay. Mendocino Complex, Clear Lake, the the community, okay, and
1: the Woolsey. Um, gosh, the Woolsey, burning to the ocean. Yeah, you know when you see conditions like that. Obviously, again, the the destruction that goes without saying on all of these, the destruction and loss of life, but. And I've been on a fire in 93, but when you have conditions like that and it's burning, you know, next to Pepperdine University, it really sets in your head
0: as this is where we're at. You know, people thinking next to the coast, it won't burn. Oh, absolutely it will. Okay. So off the top of your head then, what is, uh, in your mind, Mm -hmm. what is the most important change that needs to happen between now and the end of this year, 2019?
1: I think, um, so for first responder side um, and uh, our agency side is situational awareness is to stop saying the new normal. Stop saying unprecedented because that, that it is precedented. This is what we're in. Um, look at tactics, strategy, and adjustments uh, as far as response, but also as pr- preparation, information, and education um, that we need to, we need to change. And, and, and I know agencies are, we do it every day, but um, there is that term, the new normal. We're not, it's not new as we saw 2017 ended and here we are 2018, another record breaker. Um, So we need to really look at that, that this is the current and and adjust. For the public, don't let it be white noise. Those are one of the things I want to look at, too, is when a red flag warning, fire weather watch or fire weather warnings issued, we have so many of them in California, people just don't really pay attention to them. I want that to change. People, if you go uh, to the Midwest or back east and they issue either a hurricane or a tornado warning, watch those citizens respond. It's a completely different mindset. So I want to really reach out to the public to have situational awareness also. That infrastructure is not always going to be there when we have these major disasters. That you have to have the secondary plan B is be prepared. Because, again, I always fall back on it. It's not if, it's when you're
0: going to be affected, not only by wildfire, but a major disaster. For sure. Are there any tips that you'd like to give folks in terms of maybe uh, something they hadn't thought of before that maybe would help them? Uh, with their situational awareness or preparedness or something they should have in their go bag or well,
1: anything. I think the biggest thing that I was thinking about this year, and too, if you look at what time these fires have uh, have been either early morning or overnight, um, where infrastructure has failed. Um, I want to say in the it was at the North Bay fires within the first twelve hours. I said seventy-two uh, cell towers fail. Besides being prepared, your defensible space, your go bag, ready, set, go, one really pay attention to evacuations, leave early, go stay to relatives. Um, What we're seeing is some people say, well, I've been evacuated four times and nothing's happened. And the time they stay back, something bad happens. But also what I was thinking is when you have a red flag warning or you have winds or, you know, in the community that you're under uh, some pretty extreme fire conditions, I have what I've come up with the term, a fire watcher, assign somebody from the family to stay up overnight that if the infrastructure does fail, that that their their job is to you know watch, uh, listen to the radio, and be prepared if the power does go out. So if the family is sleeping, look at a program like that for um, uh, you know other communities. You know maybe uh, have a fire community meetings once a month, regardless because like we said year round, mm-hmm. and come up with you know a, a phone tree. Um, think out of the box. So really, I, I just I, I can't tell you enough is. Uh, be prepared, because this is not going to change anytime soon.
0: Any really fun stories that you'd like to relay? Something that maybe inspired you or maybe something that was a happy story? I know the dog story was really wonderful. You've told that story before. But why don't you tell us again? What Because to me, that was wonderful. It, it was
1: uh, actually um, with the Netflix crew on the Blue Cup Fire in San Bernardino. Um, we, uh, at that same area, where we sheltered in place. We had a structure that uh, became involved. Uh, one of the crews uh, asked if they could go over there, so I escorted them. And then this house was pretty much almost uh, 100% involved. The roof itself was. And we they were, the, the crew was filming, and uh, we were looking through the smoke, and all of a sudden a dog, it's actually in the show, a dog came running out of the front door of this burning house and started running right at me. And obviously it's panicked, and it looked like a, it was a Rottweiler mix and had a mic on, and I thought it was going to bite me. So I was prepared to kick the dog, unfortunately, for your listeners. I'm a dog lover, but I was prepared. This was a very different condition. Uh, yep. Yeah, this dog was panning. It literally ran up to me. It sat down and just looked at me, and uh, she ended up being a female, had burnt paws. I picked her up. I put her in my truck, got her some water. This part of the story is, as we talked about, the Netflix vehicle had been destroyed. So I had, I had an extra cab battalion chief vehicle at that time. We had eight of us, plus a dog sitting on the center uh, <laughs> center console. It was quite a story, but it really, I'll tell you, we were all sitting there. She's, you know, she's panting, but she's happy. It was surreal driving out of there. And I remember the 15 freeway had been closed. I think it, it ended up being closed for almost 72 hours. First time in history on the Blue mm-hmm. Cut fire. There was a shale station there right off the 15. It was closed down, no power. And uh, we all got out of the car with the dog and literally the film crew just kind of laid on the ground and and to take a deep breath and see what was going on and it it was surreal really was to see what had happened out there and how that community was affected I wanted to keep the dog the animal control officer that came and picked it up she ended up adopting the dog because the family uh, had moved away but uh, just a great story and I remember a picture went out on Facebook and uh, from the producer he took a picture of me putting the dog in the truck and and uh, I I'll tell you in the fire service I got a lot of calls from my buddies. I got a lot <laughs> of flack on that one. I got a lot of flack. One, they said, "You must be a battalion chief because your gear is too clean." <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that uh, it, was, it was. It was very interesting. But it, it, it was a good turnout for the animal. Good, good, good. Any final thoughts? Any final messages that you'd like to get out? I just think um, um, when we look back at and and looking forward, we really that's what we have to do. But learn from what we're seeing as partnerships. Um, regardless, uh, for your, uh, public safety listeners and your, and your agency listeners, remember how important partnerships are because they really shine when we have these major disasters and we all have to get together and work for the public. Absolutely the same thing. Um, have those partnerships, work with your fire safe councils, work with your communities communicate, um, but be prepared. Um, it really is like said, this is, this is not going away
0: anytime soon. All right, terrific. So again, we were sitting down with Mike Moeller, Deputy Director of Communications for Calfire. Fire. Thanks for being here, Mike. I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll have a quieter season, if we want to call it that, a season.
1: Absolutely, Sean. Thank you for the All opportunity.
0: Right. Yeah, thanks, Mike. So true. Those partnerships you cultivate before any incident can only benefit you when those incidents actually happen, regardless of your role. This next year, too, in California should be very, very interesting a new governor, a new Cal Fire Chief in Tom Porter, and here at Cal OES, we have a new Fire Chief with the retirement of Kim Zagaris. His successor will be Brian Marshall, so stay tuned. My thanks to Mike Muller for taking time out of his very busy schedule to sit in with me right here in our broadcast studio at Cal OES HQ his insight on these increasingly erratic and unpredictable fires is helpful to gain a full understanding really about what firefighters and other responders and emergency managers are likely to face again in the coming years. So thanks again, Mike, appreciate it. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to All Hazards at the iTunes store and of course, Google Play. If you have any questions or comments, shoot me an email to questions at caloes.ca.gov. One more time, Questions at caloes.ca.gov. For everyone here at Cal OES, I'm Sean Boyd. Take care and be safe.
1: You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.